Hello and welcome. My name's Karen O'Connor and this is Things That Make You Go Hmm. This is your podcast to help you make the most of the wisdom and experience that comes with getting that little bit older. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome. Today I'm here with Angela Karanja. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much, Karen. And I'm, I'm I've so, got so delighted. Say, sorry, what was that? I apologise. I said I'm so delighted to be here. I'm actually really grateful because I didn't realise that you were in the UK and it's half past 10 at night when we're recording this. So I really appreciate that. I've got to thank you for that. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you're a world-renowned adolescent psychologist and a best-selling author and you focus on raising healthy teens, don't you? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) But I just noticed on your website, and this is what I the, what I was going to talk to you about before we started recording, and I went, what's this book about? Is it stolen or kidnapped? What's it called? It's called Smuggled. Smuggled. Talk yes. to me about that. <laughs> right. Obviously, we are laughing, but it's not a funny story. So... I'll tell you something, about three years ago, I was working in a college and I was having a conversation with this young person. He was 17 years old then. And he started telling me stuff that was very strange. He spoke to me about where he was living. He spoke to me about how he had come from Germany. He spoke to me about the people that he was living with. And I said to him, do you realize that's not right? That should not be happening. He was telling me how he gets up. He gets up at four o'clock in the morning and he has to clean the whole place, you know, the whole house. And he has to cook breakfast for them, including those who are going to school. And I was like, this is just not right. That's not what a kid should be doing. So on that day, I said to him, I think we need to go and speak to safeguarding. And so we went and spoke to I took him to the safeguarding office. And here is what happened, Karen. The next day, the kid never came back to college. We lost him. Now, I don't know whether he was moved by the family he was living with or he disappeared, or he was being foretelling, or I don't know what happened. And that's the day I knew I had to start talking about this situation, this scourge that's happening to our young people, because that wasn't the first time I had heard that story. I had heard it from different young people and I had reported, but I noticed it was happening over and over again to our young people. And that's the time I decided I was going to write that book. At that point, I actually didn't know what the title would be, but I knew. I was going to write these accounts of these young people so that we can create awareness, so that young people can actually 
know that this should not be happening to them. Their peers, especially when they listen to their friends, they know that's not right. That should not be happening at home. This is just not right. And the book, Smuggled, is based on this young person. The, the, the young teenage girl is 14. And the whistleblowers are young people, same age as her, who decide that this stops now. This stops here. It's not happening again for any other of our peers. And that's what it's about. And it's very interesting because without giving away so much, what happens is this group of young people are traveling. And then this one particular one gets snatched. So she's separated from the group. But it's these other young people begin to put pieces together. And that's when they decide, no, we are going to find this kid and policies have to change. Checks have to be more, they have to be deeper and all that just to make sure. And it's a very, very interesting story. And it's informed by a lot of what I have heard in my work. And also it, it, it's got a lot of imagery in there because you've heard these stories from the young people. You, you can see, and most people that I've read it have said, I, can, I could see and feel, even taste the words that are, are on, the, on the page. So honestly, even myself, when I read it, again, I'm like, what? But like I said, because it's so informed by these facts and some truths, and obviously, I am bringing in my psychological aspect so that as we raise awareness, we know when this happens, this is what's going through this kid's mind. This is what, this is how it's affecting them. This is the reason I bring, bring the peers is to show that when one person is suffering, we know in psychology, when one person is suffering, the observer suffers just as equally because there's something that happens to our brain as people, as human beings. I cannot observe you, Karen, going through struggle, a difficulty, and remain the same. I cannot because that's how our neural circuits work. And this is where empathy comes in. And this is where the courage, actually the courage to stop this and the wisdom to actually spot and stand up and speak. And actually that fire in these kids, it makes people begin to actually look and ask themselves, is this right? This is not right. I'm going to report this. And as you're aware, it's Edmund Burke that said that evil continues to happen because good people keep quiet and say nothing. And that's what this book is all about, is just, we, can, we just cannot keep quiet about 
these things happening. And you know what? One of the things that, you know, obviously, as when you put yourself out to write something like this, you will have other people thinking, oh, you're frightening our kids. There was comments like this, you're frightening our kids. Our kids don't need to know this. And I said to, and and this is my response, again, as an adolescent psychologist, this is what we know. Our young people all over the world are having what we call a converging culture. And this means what your young person is doing in Australia is almost exactly what my young person, my teenager is doing here in Oxfordshire right? When they speak, they're speaking the same language. They're watching the same thing. They are, that's what the converging culture is. So what happens is when this is happening to that kid, for example, that kid, it's happening to that kid in Kenya, my kid is able to observe and it affects them. Remember I talked about that observing and that's why there has been a spike in mental health problems. And it's because young people are feeling the suffering of other young people, even though I am in my house here thinking, oh, we've got no problems here. My child is all protected. She cannot be snatched by anyone. I've got everything in place. However, she has access to information and the internet, and she knows why and what is happening to other kids all over the world. And that's why you see, especially our teenagers these days, they're very pro-causes. They will pick something and decide we are fighting against this. We are doing this, and they're from all over the place, right? And sometimes, especially for parents, it's catching us by surprise. How did you even know that thing exists? This is not what we taught you. It's because there is, a, alongside our parenting, they have this own culture, their own culture. And it's up to us as parents to get in and know what's happening in your world. Be interested in what the kid and what's happening in their world. And again, you know, whether we should talk about this at this point is when we get interested in what our young people are interested in, connections begin to happen. Deep connections begin to happen. Because here's the thing, especially as they come to teenage years, what we know is, for example, research continues to show year after year that 40% of our teenagers say they are lonely. And Karen, we're not talking about orphans. We're talking about my kid reporting that. This kid that I think you've got a good family, you've got everything that you would ever need. Why would you feel lonely? But it's because there's a lot of brain changes and body changes and a lot of identity crisis that happens with our teenagers at this age, the adolescent age, right? And on top of that, the need to connect is heightened. So you've got this kid who doesn't know where or who they are, right? Yet they have this need for connection. 
right? And at about the same age, <laughs> that's when they don't want to hang around with us. They don't want to hang around with parents. So most parents will say, oh, the kid just sits in the room all day or they don't want to hang out with me. And because some of them are way bigger than we are, we think, oh, they're okay. They want their independence. Yet, as big as they are, as they try to show that they want to be independent and all that, they haven't got the skills or the executive functioning to be able to function that independently. And that's why we have this need, they have that need for connection. But because we can't match it with what we see, most parents don't know that. But when I speak to parents and I say to them that what we know is that in teenage years, the need for connection heightens. And this is why this is a big opportunity for us as parents. But at the same time, it's a big danger because if we don't do something, if we don't connect with them, that's why they will connect with anyone out there who says to them, I understand you. Your parents don't understand you. I understand you. And that's why our kids, especially at this age, because they are lonely and they are disconnected. They are so vulnerable to sexual exploitation, drugs exploitation, crime exploitation, and also mental health problems. And again, we come back to this, why I wrote the book, <laughs> Smuggled, because you see this 14-year-old kid. She's a vulnerable kid. She's deceived and she is, in fact, the, the whole scene is that they are going for a talent trip right but this talent trip turns into a trafficking trip so there's all this so you can see the vulnerability but the good thing again if we come back to the book is that how can we help our young people become young people who actually are able to spot and stand up for these causes these societal issues and run with them because another thing we know about teenagers is once they hook onto an idea and that's why game for hours that's why when they decide to go bowling or bowling or what they will do it for hours they when they hook onto an idea they can hook on for so why not introduce these societal issues that when they hook onto them, they actually can change the game. And we know they are changing the world. They are making governments change policies because once they hook onto something, they are game changers. And that's, again, that, that is what I say that it's important for us as parents to get into their world, get into their life and understand what is it that interests you. How do you do that with your teenagers? How do you, uh, and at what age should you start doing this? Should you be, how do you interact with them and guide them? How, the, the, like I said, the first thing you need to be thinking 
is connection. 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 Most of us are very quick to correct before we connect. But what I advise, and I have to remind myself this, Karen, as well, because I'm a mother. I'm a mother of a teenager as well, and a very headstrong one, and a very, yes, one of those ones that that makes me live to what, make me live what I preach, right? Yep. <laughs> so I am, I am challenged. So I just don't talk. Yes, of course, we've got the research, we've got the psychology back of it, but I have, it's something I have to live on a daily basis, right? I have to live this on a daily basis. So how we connect, first of all, is understanding that we cannot let go we cannot let go regardless so the, so this thing about giving the teenager the their own space and leaving them alone they need that's not appropriate or it doesn't work it is appropriate i'll put the whole thing into perspective right we have to get into their world right in a way that we don't constrict them but also in a way that is acceptable to them. And the reason I said we don't give up is sometimes you're thinking they need you, but they shush you away. It doesn't feel nice. It's not nice. When, for example, you want to give them a hug or you want to speak to them and they have no time of day for you or they're doing, they're giving you those non-verbals that are so like, I am repulsed by you. It's it hurt, but what I say is, let us separate the person from the behavior. And if we are able to separate the person from the behavior, then we can love this kid unconditionally knowing that they have a need for connection. And that does not mean you excuse the behavior. It is possible to say to the young person, it's okay for you to tell me, not now, mom, but it's not okay for you to call me names or do it in such an abusive way or, or an aggressive way, right? So I'm not saying that you don't mention that they're doing something wrong, but first of all, validate them, say, it's okay. It's okay for you to feel you want your space. It's okay for you to feel you want your independence. In fact, it's okay for you to tell me to go away. But remember, I'm a person as well. Be kind to me. Be kind. So we are always bringing this be kind, be nice. Even in your telling me to go away, because you're entitled to tell me to go away, but be nice, be nice. Now, I was talking about the connection again. Now, for example, some parents will say, oh, what if they don't want me to be there for days and days? Now, this is where, again, Karen, we go back to their world. They're on the phones, aren't they? Mm. Oh, they're somewhere. So this is something I do often and also there's something I recommend for parents I say to them the kid will not get up until about midday but in the morning 
you can text them even if they are in the next room. Good morning, gorgeous. And now don't wait for a reply because they might not. And most of the time they don't. They pretend they don't care or it doesn't mean anything. But we must always, we as adults, we as parents, we as carers, as teachers, must have this in mind that they have this basic need for connection. And remember I said, never let go. Our job is to connect, keep the bridge sturdy and ready for when, for those moments when they cross, for those moments when they cross. They're not going to be many, because remember, they're pretending or they're wanting to be independent. So we give them that space and it's important to give them that space. But let's keep that bridge there. Yeah, keep it ready and steady for those moments. Because <laughs> this is how I equip our young people, right? It's like a chick, right? An egg. With, with these, the chick comes out of the egg, right? It comes out. It's still wet and weak. And it thinks, oh, I can do, I've got the whole world to myself. I can do what I want. And all. But remember this, they go out there and it's cold because they're used to the warmth of the egg inside the egg. In the adolescent year, and this adolescent years can last for many years. In fact, in neuroscience, we know that the adolescent years can range any time from nine to about 25, the brain. So that's a long time. <laughs> and that's my, eldest, why... my eldest didn't grow out of his teenage years till he was about 25. Yeah, but that's the brain. You're, you're correct, Karen. We know that. We know that's how the brain works. That's why we know now that's how long that stage can last. So we are having this kid, this little chick, that comes out, oh, I can do everything by myself. I don't need any help. And then they go out there and then they have to, they were used to drinking the egg yolk. But now they have to choose something that's hard and it's hard for them. So they come back running inside the egg. So there's a lot of oscillating. And I'm sure you can say that there are times that your young person, one minute, you think they're all grown up. The next minute, they're a shriveled shell of, oh, I can't do this anymore. I'm not able to do this. And their emotions are, one minute, they're 100%, right? Top of the world. The next minute, this is it. I am no good for nothing. And they do that. They do that a lot. And again, this is because of brain development. And what's happening, especially at this stage, if I may say, is the emotional brain, the limbic brain is growing quicker and faster than the executive function, the part of the brain, the frontal lobe that is concerned with thinking about consequences, with being rational, with being reasonable. That's just not developed, yeah? And it's being overtaken by this limbic brain that's just emotions. And I feel 
if we as parents, if we as a society really teach shop owners, all this, if we all understood what's happening with our young people, first of all, we'd be more kinder. And also we would be able to help them navigate that journey because it's a confusing journey. And also we know that, can you imagine this person has been a kid all their life, maybe up to the age of nine. And now they're being expected to behave like a grown-up, yet they haven't got the skills for that. They haven't got the executive skills for that. But because we can see they're big, the body shows that you're big, you can do this. We expect them to do that. And we know that for any person to develop any sort of long-term and sustainable skills, it needs practice. And that's why they make some horrible mistakes, make all sorts of mistakes. And I think it's really important for us to understand what's happening to them and give them grace, right? Because I, I think what we do mostly as a society is damn them, right? And I think again, so. I think that the best, when you were saying about the, the this brain overtaking this part of the brain, it just reminds me of those growth spurts they go through on the plateau and then they have this growth spurt and they don't seem to have control of their extremities for a few months mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. And you've got to be aware that they don't actually know where their hands are because they're longer than their brain remembers them being. Absolutely. And that's why I talked about us being kind and being understanding, giving them grace. And I'm not saying that we excuse bad behavior. That's not it. Let's have the courage to point out those bad behavior. But again, at the same time, maintaining this unconditional love for the person. We maintain this kindness love unconditional love for the young person whilst calling out that bad behavior because if we don't call out that bad behavior what we know is it then becomes a habit and we all know that habits are so hard to break but remember i talked about connection before correction Right, And here is what happens, Karen. And I have worked with young people in all sorts of settings. And I have worked with young people from all sorts of classes as well. And I can tell you without exception, teenagers, it doesn't matter from where you come, you come from, right? And I can tell you, I laugh like this because I, for example, I can tell you, working in this private school, and the kids are smelling, right? <laughs> and they're smelling. This tension is thinking, and you're thinking, surely, and some workers are thinking, surely the parents can afford soap. It's got nothing to do with soap, or it's got nothing to do with washing. It's the hormones, right? <laughs> yep. The hormones, right? And then I'm thinking, I know that. I know someone no, not just one, not two, not three, but thousands of them that will get into a shower and wash and everything. But five minutes later, you wonder Oof, what has walked in or not even who has walked in. You're wondering what has walked in the house, right? And then, for example, how do you deal with that without 
embarrassing the kid and also hurting them. Because remember, at this age, they're, they're also very sensitive about what we say or, or what we say. So how do you deal with that, ensuring that they keep clean and they're not smelling without hurting them? And I've had to deal with this many times. And again, here comes, we have to connect before correcting. And it comes with, again, loving the person. And also being authentic. For example, I say to them, oh, like, come over. I've got something to chat with you about. But for me to call that young person over in a friendly way, in a way that they're not feeling threatened or in a way that they're not feeling picked on, they're more likely to be receptive to what I'm going to say if I am a friend to them or if they perceive me to not be a threat right so in that situation they can come in and I'm like oh here's the thing right you're aware that for example I'll say we as women like like during different times of the month there's hormonal changes and everything and I say to them for example the girls I'll say to them and sometimes you're sweating more than usual, or sometimes there's a sneaky smell and all that. And I say, and that's not a problem because that's bodily changes. We are human beings. So what have I done there? I have normalized that it's something normal that happens to all of us. So when I say then, when this happens to you, because it can happen to you, you know, I've already said it happens to all of us. So they're not feeling singled out or weird or something. So I say to them, so when this happens to you, for example, after you've been to a game or after you've, would you like, like, for example, to carry some wipes, right? Or just come and ask for wipes and clean after yourself that is normal and then they feel oh th this is normal people people don't mind doing normal things a and you're not shaming them you're not blaming them you're not making them feel guilty about it that's just an example if it's a boy on the other hand right the same conversation <laughs> the totally same conversation yeah, the same conversation, but obviously I'm not a boy. So they'll be like, they, I don't want them to go to, how do you know? Again, it's being very strategic. Talk about, oh, at this stage, this happens to everyone, everyone that I know. I don't know of anyone who's not, they may not have spoken about it, but it happens to everyone. So when you start the conversation like that, it makes them feel, oh, I'm okay. I'm not weird. So when you bring in the solution, they're thinking, I can do this. This is easy. This happens to everyone. I can do this. And I'm not going to be singled out because this has happened to me. And what I know is that our young people, they want to feel seen. They want to feel respected. They want to feel heard. And also they want to feel validated. When I say to them that this, what's happening to you is normal, 
they feel validated. Their bodily functions are okay, right? They're not different. They're not different from anyone else, you see? And that validating their bodily process, even what they think, what they feel. And again, when I speak to parents and teachers about this, sometimes I'll say, oh, I use justifying that can just be dirty and everything. No, I'm not saying that. We are starting with normalizing this. Even for example, when, when, when you have teenagers, girls who have made a little mess of themselves during their menstrual periods, right? And I say, I have said, I have, I've done it. I don't know which woman in this. It's just that we don't speak about it. I think all the women who have been authentic enough have said of a, whether it's in bed or on a, a, a bit of it on the panty, or even there's a range of everything that or in of incidents that have happened. So when we start with that, then what happens is the shame is dissipated. The blame is dissipated. They don't have to feel guilty because some of the worst feelings are shame and guilt. Those, they can eat at your core. And it's, now we are talking about young people, anyone. When you're feeling shameful and you don't even, it's like you want the, you want the, the ground to break so you can sink in that. Now, can you imagine, I can say, oh, I've got more rationale and reasoning. My capacity is more mature than a younger person. Can you imagine a kid feeling like that? And that's why we, you hear kids saying things like, oh, I don't want to live anymore. Or it's because it's the, the end of the world. And that's why we also have to be very careful about some of the burdens that we heap on them and to realize it doesn't have to, nothing is that big really, to be honest. And what has happened to you, and this is what I say to them, what has happened to you has possibly happened to me, another person, and look, we're still standing, right? We're still standing. And that relieves them, this burden of thinking, this is only happening to me, including some of the incidents I mentioned, but also including some of the, for example, our young people as they grow, there's all sorts of dissonance, the feelings that they have those sexual feelings and they're wondering what's wrong with me. But when we speak with them and say, actually, that is normal, right? It's just that people don't share, again, because of culture, there's a lot of taboo when it comes to sex, it's possibly a taboo subject. When it comes to, to body acceptance, it's a, anything can be made into a taboo or just an image problem, you know. And again, social media doesn't help much with all the filters and all that. So this kid who's ballooning or whatever is happening to their body so they look at this other kid on, on Instagram or a sort of whoever, the influencer or whatever on Instagram, and they're thinking, oh my God, my face is filled with, with spots. And look at that. I want to be like that. And it's going, they're so depressed or anxious or, that, or they're going to crazy lengths 
to make themselves look like, I mean, not long ago, I had this kid who punctured their lips with a pin so they could have this pouty look. Obviously, the kids, and you know what she used to do? I'm telling you, they got to crazy lengths. And what she used to do was every morning, she would pick it so that obviously when you have a wound, they swelling around it. At first, I thought she was, I thought something had happened to her until I actually noticed that she used to pick it. So when I spoke to her and we got speaking again, we talked about connection, connection. And when you connect, whether it's with your kid or with another kid, when they feel safe to speak, then they are able to share their fears, their anxieties, their dreams, their expectations. And that's when she told me that. And I said, oh, okay. I went on to, to affirm her. She's a pretty girl. She's, a, she's everything. You don't have to do that. And luckily, she didn't get an infection because she just did not get an infection. But it's something that can happen, right? But she abandoned that thing when she knew that she was okay. She doesn't have to be that way. And one of the things I like to remind and ask parents to, to remind their kids is, believe it or not, Karen, we are actually this thing that, that people throw about, oh, we are masterpieces. We are indeed masterpieces. And it's not, this is known in very many religious sectors. But today I'm going to approach it from a very scientific angle. Actually, in, in 1991, in science, we discovered that like every human being has about 50 to 70 trillion cells, right? And on every cell of our body, there is a sort of a signature. There's a scientific signature that says it's a five, it's a five-letter word and it says god eternal within my body and obviously some people don't believe god or anything whatever it's not that is what it said and if you think about an artist when an artist does this masterpiece what's the first thing they do they sign it isn't it oh yes isn't it they sign it this is your masterpiece this they sign it and if any of us is wondering, okay, what, what kind of a signature is that? I think everyone here, I suppose everyone who's over the age of, let's say, 10, will know there's a periodic table, the periodic table, the chemistry table. When it says H, you know that's hydrogen. When it says O, it's oxygen. So this the one I'm talking about, God eternal within my body, those are letters, those are actually scientific letters. And that's what is on every cell of our body. And imagine you've got 50 trillion or 50 to 70 trillion. And on every cell, there's that code. Come on, you've got to think you're important, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I always looked, the way I always, when I was in a bad place, was the universe has only made one of me. 
so it can see itself through my eyes. That was my version of it, yeah. Absolutely, and it's true. And when we talk about the universe and we, and we know that even just another thing is no one has the same fingerprint as you. That should make you think unique. I am. It's okay to be unique like that. And it's understanding that it's okay to be unique and we need to rejoice in our uniqueness, marvel in our uniqueness. And because every blade of grass is different and every person is different, our job is to thrive, look within and see and communicate with because all of us have that what we call intuition. And for me, intuition for me is the inner tutor. Have that conversation with that inner tutor and ask these questions. What's my purpose? And sometimes even if you find it's weird to ask what's my purpose, find out what is it that I like to do that I could do it for hours and not feel tired. What is it that I love? It just flows out of me. What is that? And each one of us has something because life does not make waste. I don't think so. Like Karen, you said that there's the universe made just one of you. Why? Because there was a purpose for you. And we are created to be beauties to each other. And that's serving each other because none of us by themselves can do it. Can you imagine if there was no roses or daffodils or we wouldn't be able to enjoy that beauty. And unfortunately, as human beings, we get corrupted at some point where you think that this person is more important or this person is the idol. And I'm nothing. No, each one, this is an ecosystem. Everyone is interacting with the other person, and you're just as important. But we need to understand that because we need to understand that. And that's another thing I like to, when I speak to parents, and I like to, to say that help your child understand that they are important in the space that they are planted and in who they are. So that if you can get them to understand that, then your job is done. Unfortunately, again, Karen, for most of us, no one made us understand that. So how can we give something that we don't have? Yeah, we can't give what we don't have. But all is not lost because, again, the beauty of human beings is that every moment that you're alive is an opportunity to make a different choice. And just right now you can decide, oh, my God, I didn't know this. But from this minute on, I'm going to choose differently. But then again, we talked about habits. <laughs> habits can be hard to change. And I believe that's why coaches like you, Karen, like myself, we exist. We are here to serve and support people 
to transform, to grow from this level of not knowing to a different level of not only knowing, but actually thriving and living your best life. And again, we talked about, we talked about being able to help each other. I may know that something is missing, but without support or without help, I may not be able to reach my best potential. And I'm going to say now is I've got mentors, I've got coaches. Any people ask me, gosh, you also have mentors? Yes. The greatest leaders, if you want to thrive in your field, You've got to have coaches. You've got to have mentors. And what do these people do? They help you see some things you may not even be able to see. Because sometimes when you're in the pot, you can't see what's happening. You can't see when you're in the jar, you can't see the label. Most of us are labeled something. And until someone says to you, come on, you can come out of this jar and grow bigger. And that's why, for example, Karen, when you invited me to come today, thinking, should I talk about menopause? Should I talk about, which which is something that, especially when you're parenting teenagers, we are at that age, right? Yep. And I was thinking, yep. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was thinking, should I talk about motherhood? Which again, is obviously I'm parenting this young person and also many of her friends that, come around here and I always consider myself in every interaction that I have with a young person for that moment I am the parent and those are moments that can make big massive shifts and it can be something as as small as and it's something I do often for example I'll go to the supermarket and I'll meet this kid, they're doing their thing, and they've got yellow hair and blue hair, and it's, oh, you look amazing. And don't know, maybe they've been told they are weird or they are crazy and all that. But this one, I'm not being funny. I'm not saying that to them, to even for them to tell me thank you or anything. In fact, again, we talked about unconditional love. I'm not expecting for them to say anything i just say to them you look amazing i want to be generous with my compliments i want to be kind to everyone that i meet because you could be the one that's making their day on that day so i was thinking should i talk about men <laughs> menopause should i talk about motherhood uh, you know and, and all that and then i said let me stick to my <laughs> to my forte which is obviously as a parenting teenagers expert and also as a mother. But it's that's also why relevant I... because even if we're not parents, we all come into contact with teenagers in different ways, like you were saying, as a shopkeeper or a coach or whatever, we will come into contact with teenagers and just having that understanding and being able to approach the relationship from a different way is absolutely crucial. It's it's a life changer and it could be for the teenager you don't know. Absolutely. And one of the things that we know is that our young people will rise or fall to the level that we believe for them. So, for example, if you 
let's say you're a teacher, the kid comes in and you say to them, I know you can do this. I have absolute trust that you're capable of doing this. And there's something that happens in the brain, even for us as adults. You want someone to believe in you. You want someone to affirm you. You want someone to tell you that you're capable and you are worthy. We all want that because it's like the sun. Those words are like the sun. The sun comes out and it gives life to everything. And that's why every plant, all living things gravitate to the direction of the sun. And we, as people, we want to be like the sun. And again, remember the qualities of the sun again is that it shows up and shines. It's not, whether we say thank you to the sun today or not, it will still come out tomorrow. And that's for me, I say, I want to be like the sun. Of course, I'm human. I'm a human person and I don't always get it right all the time. But I want to be able to show up and shine, show up and shine, show up and shine. There is a quote that I can't remember who said it. It said that the sun has been warming the earth for eons. And nowhere have you ever heard the sun say to the earth, you owe me. That really was my last one. Imagine what a love like that can do. That is wonderful. Thank you so much. It has been great to talk to you. It's gone really fast. Thank you. It has. I didn't even realise it's been an hour. No, it's all good. It's really late your time. Thank you so much for being a guest. I've really enjoyed it. It's been lovely meeting you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. And of course, if people want to follow up and ask any questions about anything that I've talked about, they can come to us at Raising Remarkable Teenagers or just email me at Angie at Raising Remarkable Teenagers. And yeah, and we can follow up, follow on from there, Karen. Fantastic. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted and rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends, please. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you're leaving with some great ideas that can make a difference in your everyday life. Until next time.